any fans of the Christmas story? No, that's not a lot of you. They, they run a 24-hour marathon of this on TNT. So uh, <clears throat> I love this movie. This is one of my favorites. Uh, we watch it many times throughout the year. And, and uh, we used to, when we had cable, turn on TNT like Christmas Eve night and just let it run all day. And we'd, catch, we'd probably watch it like two or three times. You know, you catch a few minutes. My dad swears he's never seen the whole movie. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he's seen it in like four-minute segments all throughout Christmas Day. Uh, that's typically how this movie's watched. But uh, I love this movie. This, this movie kind of reminds me of like the quintessential childhood, right? So many of those things just remind me of growing up. The brothers fighting, kids looking through the glass, like just oogling all the presents and, you know, then daydreaming and having wild fascinations. That's, to me, that's one of the things that this movie captures is Ralphie's like vivid, wild imagination, right? He has this, this idea of what life could be or what life is. And, and he's, he's kind of looking at it through this lens uh, of, of Christmas and, and this thing that he really wants, right? He's looking through the window at the beginning and he sees this Red Rider carbon action BB gun and it's like, I want that. That's what I, that's the thing that I want. More than anything else, it's that thing. And, and when he becomes almost fascinated with this idea of this Red Rider BB gun, it's, it, it's like everything he, he thinks about. It, it's, that's all that Christmas is. All that matters is this Red Rider carbon action BB gun. It, it, it's like a child who just becomes so fascinated with this thing that he wants. And, and he, he's looking through the, the glasses everybody's looking through, and that's the thing that captures his imagination. And then the rest of, of the movie is him kind of playing through this imagination of what it would be like to have this Red Rider BB gun. If, if you've seen the movie, you know where it's going to go. In a, uh, a few minutes into the movie, his teacher gives him a writing assignment, and she asks a question. And he's excited because the question she asks is, is this, what do you really want for Christmas? And he knows, right? He, he's seen it in the window. It's the Red Rider Carbon Action BB gun. I, I even love the line he uses when he comes into his parents. He's like, it's the Red Rider Carbon Action BB gun with a compass on the stock. Like, good thing I've got the compass on the stock because I wouldn't have any idea where to go. Like, he is just bought in hook, line, and sinker on all of the propaganda, on all of the advertising. He's like, that's it. This kid has done his research. He knows what he wants. Have you ever done that? Like, in this Christmas season, you may be finding yourself asking your kids this, what do you really want for Christmas? And they'll make up their Christmas list. My oldest did that for us a few days ago, and she wants one thing, but I'm not lying. The title of the thing is a page long. It's like a, a Canon Vixia camcorder, and it's just slashed. Like, clearly, she looked this up on Amazon. You know how they do this? It's like a slash with a, uh, a memory card and a quality tripod, and it just went on and on for a whole page. And I'm like, holy cow, this kid is just, her mind is wrapped around. She is fixated and fascinated by this thing. But have you ever asked yourself that question? What do you really want for Christmas? Right? Well, what is that thing that we find ourselves just kind of built into this ideal, this idea of, of what life is? Like, what do we, when we're looking through this season, we kind of look through it with, you know, rose-colored glasses or a lens of our own. Ralphie's looking through it with this lens of, I want that Red Rider BB gun. And my daughter's looking through it of, I want this Canon Vixia camcorder. What do you really want for Christmas? When you think about the season, when you look through at your life and maybe what life could be with, you know, Ralphie's wild imagination and you have wild imaginations about your life, what are, what's your answer to this? What do you really want for Christmas? Maybe it's, it's a Red Rider BB gun. Good for you. Maybe it's something a little more serious. You see, Ralphie, he's sitting down to write this, this assignment. And as he writes the assignment, you begin to see that his whole, his whole idea of life is wrapped up in this. 
He deals with some bullies outside of school, and he really believes that if, if I get this Red Rider beer, it's going to solve my problem, right? Bully's gone. It, it'll, it'll pump me up in the neighborhood of this, like, boyhood kind of tribe that kind of runs the streets of this northern Indiana town where the movie takes place. It's like, if I get this, all my friends are going to elevate me, and I'm like the thing, I'm it, and no bully's going to mess with me because I got old blue. Like, he has just, like, set his goals and his life on this, this one thing, and it captivates everything about him. And then we begin to see that he's willing to go after this with, with almost a little bit of reckless abandon. And, and it, it makes me wonder how often we do the very same thing. We, we have things in our life that we want, things in our life that we think are, are really important, that if we get this thing, all of our life's going to change. Everything's going to be different. Things will never look the same again. It, it's going to make me me. It's going to make you know, my spouse love me more, and it's going to make my, my boss recognize me and give me the raise. It's, it's going to make the neighborhood think that I'm the guy. And, and then we kind of get fixated on this thing that, that we think we really want, and we, we pursue it with this reckless abandon. I love that phrase, reckless abandon. It's like, I don't care about what it's going to do to anyone else. I don't care about what it's going to cost me. I have to have that thing. See, what's really interesting, James, the brother of Jesus, he kind of talks about this, about, about this, this thing that, that all of us kind of face when, when our desires tend to get the better of us. In James chapter 4, he says it this way. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Another translation says, are at war within you? Have you ever felt like your desire for something or someone or, or, or some bodies, whatever it might be, that it, it's almost like raging a war within you? Like that's all you think about. All of uh, like the other things that were important in your life, they kind of get pushed to the fray and pushed to the sidelines. But this thing, it just captivates us. Your desires, James says, they, they kind of battle within you. He goes on, he says, and <coughs> you desire... But you don't have, so you kill. And I know what we're all thinking, because I was thinking the same thing when I read this. Well, I've never done that. Right? My desires have never led me that far to, like, kill. But you covet, and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel, and you fight. And then I felt a little, a little more convicted. Like, oh, okay, that happens. And, and if I'm being really honest, it happens more than I like to say it happens. And I see it in my kids. It happens all the time. You do not have... Because you do not ask God. Well, can I just ask God for anything? And then he continues and he says, But when you ask, you don't receive it because you ask with wrong motives. That what you may spend or what you get, you're going to spend on yourself and your pleasures. You see, that's, that's kind of how it works with us, isn't it? And in this holiday season and Christmas season, we tend to see this kind of thing strike up the most. It's about what I want, right? That's what Ralphie's asking. What, what do I want? And I want this thing, and I don't care about anything else. And, and James is saying that there's this, this tension then that, that kind of builds. It, it builds in you between what you want and anything that stands in your way. And that's why there's this reckless abandon. It's like, that's the thing I want, and I don't care what I have to do to get it, right? I'm going to, uh, Ralphie, I'm going to write a homework assignment and be excited about it. Like, what kid is excited about writing a homework assignment? Because it's going to get me what I want. And anything that stands in the way of what we want, we kind of plow right through it. You see, this is a, a special season for us. I love this season because the world is, is kind of forced for a moment to stop and take notice of Jesus. They're forced to wrestle with the idea that Jesus actually was a historical person who lived, which is amazing in itself. But the claims that he made, that's the hard part. 
Everyone can agree, yeah, Jesus lived, but it's the claims he made. And, 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 and I, I'm, how do I wrestle through that? And what I love about Christmas is it forces all of us, the whole world, to stop for a moment, kind of like we talked about this, this morning after singing. It forces us to stop for a moment and reconsider who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us and, and, and to us. And, and what's beautiful about this season is it forces decisions. Who is Jesus? And what am I going to do about all the claims he made? How, what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to let that impact my life? I love that the decisions are forced because some of these decisions change somebody's life forever. They change families forever. I, I, I love the tension that, that this question builds. We all find ourselves kind of asking questions during this holiday season. What do I really want for Christmas? What should I focus on? What shouldn't I focus on? I don't know about you, but, but we have similar discussions like this in our house. Every year we try to focus our kids back on what we think is important about the holidays, not about you know, all, just all the celebrations and all the Christmas gifts that you want, but what are we, what are we trying to focus on? And we try to create these moments of, of family time and gathering and putting up the Christmas tree was one of those moments. We always loved to do that as we were married and my wife and I, and it was just us and no kids, we would do it together. And then kids came in and it got a little more complicated the older the kids got, I don't know if, if putting up a Christmas tree like this is like this for you and your family, but it was like this for ours. We've since had to change it, but we want it to be the special family moment. And what we found is, is every year it got more and more challenging until we would like prep ourselves, right? We're going to bring the box up and in a few minutes we're going to pull it out and we're going to decorate or we're going to cut it down and put it up and we'll all do the lights and then we'll let the kids do some ornaments on the bottom and then we move to, we'll even, we'll get them their own trees so they can do their ornaments so we don't fight. And every year the tensions would build until as soon as you know, like you get the tree set up and the lights on and it's like WrestleMania. We're fighting and kids are arguing and people are looking for chairs to hit and it's like, how did, how did we get here, right? It's, it just escalated. What do we focus on? Or, or maybe a better question is, what don't we focus on? What shouldn't we be focused on? And, and at the bottom of a lot of these questions that we find ourselves asking during this holiday season in particular, I find greater questions like, what do I do about Jesus? And, and what do I do about the gospel? And is Jesus really going to change my life? Like we talk about that in church, but is it really going to happen? And at the bottom of all those questions, I think the real question we find ourselves asking is, can I really trust Jesus? Should I really trust Jesus? You see, when we begin to pursue these things in our lives that, that captivate us, that, that take our attention, that we become fixated on, something begins to happen to us along the way. As we begin to pursue these things with reckless abandon, something begins to happen to us. And that's what we're going to find in this next clip. So enjoy clip two. Uh, seeing Santa, we do this to our kids, but I think it's more for us, right? Our kids don't enjoy it. We had a, a similar instance like that in our family. My nephews, my sister took them to see Santa, and just like that, one sitting on the lap completely awestruck, the other one's crying their eyes out. Santa asked my nephew, what do you want for Christmas? And he says, toys. What kind of toys? Plastic. <laughs> <coughs> ho, ho, ho. Uh, I love that line, too. It's like the definitive line of the movie, right? I mean, uh, maybe the most definitive line of every Christmas movie, except for perhaps Die Hard. And we settled a few weeks ago, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Um, but it's, it's the line that, that Santa used, that everyone uses in this movie, and it's, it's the definitive line, right? You'll shoot your eye out. Uh, I, I love it. It's, if you're ever looking for a way to say no to your kids, they're just pushing and pushing, and you know the, the answer's already no, just you'll shoot your eye out. It's like the definitive no. It's like there's no way, right? We're not doing it. We're not going there. That's it. No, you'll shoot your eye out. 
What's interesting about this is what Ralphie does when he really wants something and he feels like his mom's put up a roadblock, he can't get the gun, he then relies to Santa. I've got to go get Santa on my side. If I, can get, if I can get the big guy on my side, then I'll definitely get the gun. It doesn't matter what mom says. What I find really interesting is that that tends to be what we tend to do as well. Now, maybe we don't go to Santa, but when we really want something and perhaps there's people in our lives even now who are speaking in saying, ah, don't do that, that may not be a good idea, or we're just having trouble getting that thing, what do we do? We gravitate towards the people who, who are going to cooperate with us, who are going to tell us, yes, that's exactly what you need. Go for that thing. Get that thing. It, 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 it's, it'll change your life. You're exactly right. Get that thing and pursue it above all else. Who cares what anyone else says? That's what you need. We become so fixated on the thing that, that all we want to hear are people who agree with us. And the people who, who don't agree with us, what do we do? Shun, right? No, you, I, don't get that. Don't, don't, that's not good for you. Really, that's how you feel? Yeah, don't date him, don't date her. That's not going to end well for you. Oh, is that how you feel? Then you're shunned. You're, you're canceled. <laughs> you, you, we literally unfriend you. We digitally unfriend you. No longer Facebook friends. Out of my life. Because we didn't hear what we wanted to hear. That's what we do. What's really interesting, especially now in our culture, is, is it's, it's not hard to find people to agree with us, is it? I mean, we don't have to look very far to find just a, a, a group of people or a news outlet or a blog or a, a, anything, right? It's not hard to find a group of people who, who just agree, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. It's like, this is what the internet has opened up to us. These like microcosms of, of people that agree on the same thing. And, and, and all we have to do is find that group and they're just going to pump us up and encourage us. Go for that. You need that thing. Don't worry about anything else. You absolutely should have that thing. And anyone else who speaks against it, well, you don't need them in your life. That's what we do. We gravitate toward agreement, and anyone who disagrees with us, well, they tend to get canceled out of our lives. It's really easy to find a group of people who agree with us on everything we want. What's really challenging is to find that person who loves you more than they love the relationship that they're in who loves you more than they love what the relationship is bringing to them. And that's really why people tend to agree with us, even if they don't agree. Well, I don't want to hurt your feelings because then this might affect our friendship or our relationship, and I like what this friendship brings to me or does for me. But what we really need is somebody who's willing to say, I love you more than I love that relationship. No. Don't do that. Don't, don't go after that. Don't pursue that thing. That, 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 you're going to get that at the expense of your family. You'll get that at the cost of your future. Don't, there's, there's more important things. Like See beyond this thing that you're fixated in. That's what we really need. It's somebody who's willing to say, no, stop. Don't go there. But that's not what we want to hear in these moments. We just want people to agree. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to Timothy. We've talked about Paul before, so I don't need to introduce him. Timothy was this young guy who was kind of raised up under Paul. And when Paul was starting a church and then he left to go to start another church, he kind of raised up Timothy as a leader to take over. He leaves and then he writes back to Timothy. And he, In this letter to Timothy, he actually writes to him about exactly what's happening in our lives and what we see happening in Ralphie's life. Timothy, he, or rather Paul, he says it this way to Timothy. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. We're going to jump back to this verse in a second, but I want to explain what sound doctrine is. What Paul's talking about here, sound doctrine, is really the fundamental belief of being a Christian, right? That Jesus Christ was sent by God because God loved the world so much to live in this world, a perfect sinless life, to ultimately die on a cross to, to cover or to bear our sins. 
That, Paul's saying that's what sound doctrine is, that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus, and that's Christmas, that's why we celebrate, to die on a cross, and that's Easter, that's why we celebrate Easter, because he died and then he rose again. And the blood that he shed on the cross literally covers our sins. It, 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 it takes away our sins, so that when God looks at us, he no longer sees the thing that we were, right, the sinner who's, who, who did all these things in life that we were regret and shameful of. He looks at us and he sees somebody who's right before him, who's righteous, because of what Jesus did for him. Paul's saying that's sound doctrine. We do this in church. We come in and we sing about songs, about what God has done for us and, what, and, and how he loved us so much that he was willing to send Jesus for us. And, and then we celebrate this and we take a moment to remember these things, to remember perhaps on a time where we invited Jesus or the Spirit of God into our life to set us free from the sins that, that were kind of controlling us and, and, and binding us so that we could live freely before God. Paul's saying that's what sound doctrine is. That's what you need to get back to. Don't lose the sound doctrine. There'll come a time when people aren't going to want to listen to that, when people aren't going to want to put up with that. They don't care about the, the, the things that we built this church on, about God loving you and Jesus dying for you and not staying dead, but coming back to life to set you free. There's going to come a time when people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, there's that word again, this desire, this fascination, this fixation on what we want, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Have you ever had an itch so bad you just had to scratch it? You ever get like poison ivy and they tell you not to itch and it's like, seriously, it's poison ivy. That's all I want to do. I will do anything. to. It's like, it just itches and it, it, it like plagues your mind. It comes on you. If you're a parent with children, I find this all the time. My kids go out and they play and, you know, they get bruised or they get scratched and you don't want them to itch because the wound has to heal. But what do you find them doing? Itching and scratching. My mom's here this morning. She raised five boys. I feel like that must have been what she said, like, her, her, like for 15 years, all she must have said was like, leave it alone. Don't scratch it. Don't itch it. Don't do that. But that when we get an itch, that's what we do. We, we've got to itch it, right? We've got, to, we've got to scratch the itch. Paul's saying the same thing kind of happens in your ears, and not like the gross kind of earwax way that you want to pick, but like your ears are going to itch, and you're going to want to scratch the itch. There's going to come a time when people's ears itch so bad to hear what they want to hear, they're going to find a way to scratch the itch. They're going to, they're going to forego this whole like sound doctrine thing, and they just want somebody to tell them ultimately what they want to hear. What's really interesting is he says there's going to be a great number of teachers. There's going to be a great number of people. And as we said before, it's really easy to find a bunch of people who agree with us. Say, so, yeah, pursue that thing. Yeah, go for that. Yeah, you need that. That's going to change your life. Absolutely, you should be pursuing this. Who cares about what it costs or what it does to your kids or how that upsets your, you know, your relationship with your spouse? or Who cares about what you have to give up for that? You, you need that thing. It's going to be easy to find a great number of teachers or a great number of people who will say what we ultimately want to hear. It's really difficult to find that person He's willing to say, but don't do that. Take a minute and stop. Think about what you're about to do. Is it worth the cost in the end? See, maybe we just need to surround ourselves with people who don't always agree. And I know uh, in, this, in this culture, in this climate, this is like completely counterculture. This is not what you want to hear. I want a microcosm, people who believe the same thing politically, religiously, you know, family, whatever it is. I want that, and I want to push everyone else out. Perhaps the thing we're missing are the people who disagree. 
Perhaps they're the ones who are willing to say, no, don't, stop. And maybe this is your scenario. Maybe you, you find yourself in this position now, pursuing something in your life with reckless abandon that ultimately is going to lead you to destruction, and you need somebody to say no. Let me be like the mom or like Santa in this story. Don't do it. You'll shoot your eye out. Destruction is what's ahead of you. Pain is what's in store for you. Don't do it. Don't pursue it with this kind of reckless abandon. Take a step back. There's something better for you. I love how this movie continues on. Ralphie goes to Santa, he tries to get Santa, he doesn't get Santa on his side, and he's now disappointed and struggling and feels like there's no hope. I'm not going to be able to get the thing that I ultimately want. And I know this is a kid's movie, and I'm sure when the author wrote this, it was just a kid's movie about an eight-year-old kid who really wanted a Christmas gift. But when I look at this as a parent now, as an adult, I see something deeply profound in here. And I know you're kind of laughing. In a Christmas story, really? Deeply profound? I do. I think there is. I think, I think the author uncovered something about us, even as adults, not just as eight-year-old kids, that if we're honest, we can really connect with where Ralphie is. And I love the way this movie goes and where it ends. So we're going to show you clip number three. Then I'll be back. God, he's literally going to do it. They've been warning him the whole movie, and he's going to shoot his eye out. You know, I, it started with, I want that. That's what we say, right? I want that thing. And, and Ralphie, it's like an eight-year-old boy standing in front of a window, but I think we're still kind of like that eight-year-old boy. Uh, maybe not, you know, we've, we've grown up and, and we've matured in some ways, but we find ourselves going after something so fixated, so passionate about. But we get it. It doesn't really do the thing we thought it would do or that it was promised to do. Somebody warned us, you'll shoot your eye out, and then we shoot our eye out. And then like Ralphie, we're forced to make up a story to cover for the mistake we made. See, the problem is, we start pursuing things, and anything that we pursue more than Jesus ends up being less than. See, it might not be bad. Some of you may be pursuing some things that are actually really good. Some of you, maybe you're in this scenario, are pursuing things that... It may be kind of bad. The thing is, anything that you pursue over Jesus is actually bad because you weren't built for that. These things never and eventually satisfy. You see, you were built to experience the sound doctrine that God loved you so much that he sent his son into the world to live for you and ultimately die, that his blood would cover your sins so that you could be in a relationship with God. You were built to experience the fullness of that relationship with God. And anything other than that is simply less than. But God's a good God. He's a good father. And he's patient and he'll stand back and he'll allow you to pursue. And he'll allow the consequences of what you pursued to play out in your life so that you can see that anything that you pursue other than him is less than. And much like the boys at the beginning of this movie looking in on the glass, we find ourselves looking in on whatever it is we want. And I think Jesus is standing at the beginning of this season and he's, he's offering us something different. He said, I've got what you really want. 
not the thing that you're pursuing, not the thing that you're going after with, with this reckless abandon. I've got what you really want. He said it so clearly, and we've heard this before. I've talked about this many times. Jesus is traveling, and he stops at a well, and this Samaritan woman approaches the well, and they have this conversation. And what he says to her so clearly states, I have everything that you really want. You're pursuing other things. You're trying to find fulfillment. And in her case, she's trying to find fulfillment in relationships. She's now on something like her fifth husband, and she's not even married to this guy. And said, you, you, you've, you've pursued this, this life with reckless abandon, and it's brought you to where you don't want to be. But I have the answer. Jesus answers her, John tells us. Everyone who drinks from this water, the water that you're about to get from the well, everyone who drinks from, from life and kind of pursues their own interest, in the end, they're going to be thirsty again. He said, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love the way this movie started. They're all looking in on the window at the department store in this town and how beautifully it was done up with all of the trinkets and trains and villages. Have you ever gone to New York in, during Christmas time? I mean, it is just a beautiful place to walk around and look in on these, these window displays. It's like, it, it's like an artist set them up. They're just beautiful and immaculate and they capture your imagination. And these boys are looking in on, on what they, they want and they're asking that question, what do I want for Christmas? Ralphie sees Red Ryder with his BB gun, and that's it. I wonder for how, how many of us are kind of looking in on that window of our life. Maybe not an eight-year-old boy, but our faces are still pushed up against it and fingerprints, and we're smeared, and we're just kind of oogling and looking in. What do I want out of this life? And we see things that look really good, and then we begin to pursue and I think Jesus is kind of standing off to the side of that display, and he's saying, yeah, but, but I have what you really want. But this isn't our first Christmas. We, we've, we've been through this before. We've done this. We've, we've lived a little bit. We've pursued. What does that pursuit bring you? He said, I have what you really want. I can offer you life, and life to the fullest. And like he said, here, I'll offer you life that, that, that never ends, and it springs up in you more life and more life, the life that you really have been looking for. And when you're looking in on that display, it's, it's like, who do you think set that up for you? Who do you think made that display look so pretty and, and, and so perfect and all the things that you really, like you think you really want out of life? We'll go back to SNL. Remember the church lady in SNL? She had the answer. Satan. <laughs> the Bible says it's, it's the devil, your enemy, whose whole idea is, let me see if I can trick them. Let me see if I can convince them to spend all of their life pursuing this. They'll go after it with reckless abandon. And at the end of it all, what do we have? We're left feeling what? Empty? Unsatisfied? Because we weren't made for that. But our eyes had a niche. And they only wanted to see what they wanted to see. Our ears had a niche. And they only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. And so we've pursued We've done that. We've, we've wanted the car so bad, we were willing to, to take on so much debt. And then we get the car, we drive it, and it's awesome for like a few weeks. And then the first payment comes in, and it doesn't feel so awesome anymore, right? It's a little underwhelming. Or we, we wanted that, that relationship with him or her or the coworker, even at the expense of our family or our spouse. I just, I have to have him, I have to have her. And then we go, we pursue, we get, and at the end, what do we end up feeling? Well, I wish I had what I had before. This didn't bring me that the hope and the joy and the life I wanted. 
We pursue career. We pursue uh, education. We've got to make the mark. We've got to make the grade. We've got to get the promotion. And we put everything into it. We clear our schedule for that thing. And then we get it at the cost of our family. And at the end, we're left disappointed because nothing can satisfy like Jesus. There's a hole that we keep trying to fill with, with, with all of these things that we've kind of fixed our eyes on and they never bring satisfaction. Only one thing can. And that is the start of this Christmas season. I'm going to leave you with, with one more verse. Matthew tells us this. She, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's why this holiday is so important. And if, if for a moment in this holiday season, we could keep our eyes fixated on that, we could pursue that perhaps with a reckless abandon. If we could just sit back for a moment and marvel at, at how much Jesus loved us, that he was willing to pursue you to earth, eventually to the cross and to the grave because he loved you so much. If we could just sit back and marvel at what Jesus did for us and what his love in us could do through us, spring up life, new life, living life, life to the fullest, maybe we'd get our eyes off of the window that we've been staring through, the lens that we're seeing the world through, of all the things that we want and we've been pursuing. And we'd hear Jesus say, but I have what you really want. End the cycle. We've been here before. We've done this before. Some of you are doing this again. End the cycle. Stop. Don't go that route. Let me bring you peace and let me bring you joy. Let me sustain your life so that you will never be thirsty again. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father, for this maybe strong reminder, Lord, of how easy it is to get our eyes fixated on, on the things around us in this world or the things we've been pursuing this whole time, but God leaving Jesus out. God pursuing something with such reckless abandon that, that, that we've forgotten the cost on the people that we care about, our family or our friends, God, or even our future. And God, would you help us in this moment to just take a moment and pause and think about what we're doing and perhaps shift our focus to Jesus, who's saying, I have everything you really want. Would you come to me? And God, would you help us this first week of the Christmas season, Lord, even to start this season off right and say, Jesus, that's what I want. More than anything else, I want you. I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want the peace and the joy and the life that only you can bring me. And God, would you help us to find our satisfaction, our, our, our sustainment in that? I thank you for your son. God, I thank you that we take a whole month to celebrate and to remember what he has done for us. Would you help us to start this season off this way and to shift our eyes to the one thing that actually can bring satisfaction, your son. In his name we pray, amen.